0: Okay well, thank you so much for the introduction, Dan and uh, thank you, uh, Ian uh, and your whole uh, organization for inviting me here today to talk about the tenants union uh, it's it 's a pleasure and particularly uh, a pleasure to come to the Humanists uh, and speak to you. My first encounter with the humanists, I think was at a word on the street uh, festival many many years ago. They changed the name now, but uh, it was a delight to find that such an organization existed um, in British Columbia, and uh, and linked up with organizations worldwide. Um, because yeah, so before I want to talk about the tenants, I just want to appreciate uh, the work that uh, that you all do um, for humanism and for pluralism uh, and a secular society. Because uh, we're essentially living under, you know de facto global blasphemy laws in in many ways now and uh, we live here in Vancouver under such a diverse society uh, with, with so many different uh, faith communities non-faith communities um, it's very very crucial that we defend the the true values of, of secularism and and pluralism and they come under attack in ways we we wouldn't expect so this this organization is vital Um I'm going to talk a little bit about my myself and how I came to be a, a volunteer organizer with the tenants union because we have no staff, um, and actually we're not even five months old. It just feels like kind of feels like we've been around forever already. Um, the organization was founded April 29th, but I'll get to that and how I really had no intention of taking on another um, activist commitment. Uh, you know, I just turned 40. I'm already very engaged in uh, in a number of issues. I do a lot of work in independent media. I'm a volunteer editor with Ricochet Media um, and have been involved in the anti-war movement and uh, many other social justice uh, causes. So we have two little kids. You know, I'm getting to be middle-aged. It's the time you're supposed to take on less activist commitments, but we live in Vancouver and, uh, and my partner's the same. She comes from, from an activist background and also, has been thinking like, you know, geez, how do I take on a few less things and uh, and focus on focus on uh, getting the kids to school and and getting to work? Um, but the tenants' union kind of came to us because it just came out of our experience trying to live and trying to stay in Vancouver. Really, um, our older son is uh, six six and a half now. We've moved six times in the six years he's been alive. Uh, one of those was an internal move when he was born. We lived in a kind of like a bachelor suite in a in a co-op downtown I don't know 500 square feet or something 450 square feet and so one of the moves was internal to a a one-and-a-half bedroom uh, in that co-op it's a great co-op but unfortunately because they built it downtown it's one of the co-ops that basically had no family sized units so we had to to move out of that co-op pretty quickly we briefly tried living in Richmond. Um, we found a semi-affordable rental unit in Richmond that was more than big enough uh, for us that had three bedrooms, but uh, we basically, we couldn't hack the commuting uh, and all the transit to, to get to our jobs and, and to all of our activities down in the city. Um, so we then lived in Yale Town for about a year and a half, again in a Semi-affordable nonprofit-run uh, building. There's actually quite a bit of affordable housing uh, hiding in p- neighborhoods like Yale Town and Cole Harbor, um, where you wouldn't expect it. Um, anyway, then we had a second son, and so we just we were too big for that apartment, and uh, uh, finally we uh, we ended up in Fairview, and uh, and now we have um, a reasonably sized place in a, in a, again a nonprofit-owned um we're still paying market rent but a nonprofit owned rental complex and it's geared towards families so there's a lot of three-bedroom uh places where we live now uh now our only concern is that the owners of the property are going to make a deal with a developer and we're all going to get uh, pushed along or moved out somewhere else so we're, we're we're temporarily properly housed but there's still this anxiety and um that's how we came across uh, the idea of starting the Vancouver Tenants Union. Um, I think probably thousands of people had the idea that we needed something like a tenants union, at least subconsciously. Um, and early this year, early 2017, some organizers in the downtown east side who had been primarily fighting s- slumlords uh, who were letting their buildings, literally, letting their buildings fall apart. Uh, and refusing to uh, uphold the maintenance bylaws to to upkeep those buildings. Um, they had been organizing and su- successfully, you know, getting their issues in the media, uh, pressuring the city to come down harder on the slumlords and either fix the buildings up or, or condemn the buildings and get people in proper housing. Um, so some of our friends in the downtown east side started talking to people in different neighborhoods, uh, finding a lot of horror stories uh, from tenants in the west end, Uh, We live in Fairview, so we got neighbors together in Fairview, had conversations, Uh, people in East Van, people really all over the city. So sometime in February or March, we decided to get together and start having meetings of people just calling ourselves, we call ourselves tenant organizers, essentially people who live in a rental building or in a rental unit who want to get together uh, with other tenants and fight for better conditions fight against rent increases and in many cases fight against rent evictions Um, so that's how the idea of the tenants union sort of coalesced and on april 29th we we launched like i said less than five months old uh, not really knowing what the public response would be and we booked a a room at uh the church at 12th and Maine, and anyway, uh, the, it was the cheapest venue we could find. You know, it was like a hundred dollar an hour rental for a nice space that fit 200 people. Um, oh, sorry, there's one other point about how I got involved in this effort. Um, like I said, we're already kind of to the max in, in types of, in the types of things we can get involved with. Um, but the initial organizers um, who convened these meetings of tenants from throughout the city to talk about this idea. Uh, these meetings happened in February and March. They organized childcare and they paid someone to provide childcare at the meetings. So, our family would probably never would have gone uh, to those initial organizing meetings. Um, but the key organizer said, "No, no, we have childcare here. Come on down. You get a couple hours off." Um, the organizers provided coffee. People came and, and brought snacks and food, so it was just a really healthy space to go, where where families could go, um, where people could be could be caffeinated and keep their blood sugar up while they discussed uh, what to do and how to organize. So, yeah, a great lesson for for starting any kind of organization. Always have some donuts and and coffee for sure. And I see Ian and Dan uh, already know that organizing trick. Um, so. The Tenants' Union decides to launch. By the way, we picked the date of the launch and then realized it was two weeks before a provincial election. And all of our kind of friends who would normally come along to these things were understandably busy. Um, I won't comment, I won't editorialize about the election because I know it's a charitable organization you have here. Um, But we just realized... uh, this was maybe a mistake to, to do this in the middle of, or you know, two weeks at the end of, a, of an election campaign. We just figured the turnout might not be so, so good. Um, we got there that evening to set up the room, and people were already showing up and kind of asking how they could join. And um, You know, usually the crowd, if your meeting starts at 7 o'clock... Usually the crowd starts to trickle in at 5 to 7 or at 7 o'clock, uh, but you know by 6.30, we were already getting a good number of people in the room, including people I didn't recognize. So that was a positive sign. Ended up the room was full. We had you know close to 200 people there, I think about 200 people. Um, we had a little child care set up right in the main hall, so we had kids playing and, and all kinds of tenants got up and just told their stories. That was really the main thing we did at our first big public meeting. We just had a, uh, a roll call of people telling horror stories, and uh, but it turned out not to be not to be depressing because when people are telling their tenant horror stories together, um, they really get empowered and and uh, yeah they have a kind of moral and uh, strength. There's a kind of moral strength in the room, and I think it really bolstered people and even people who shared very personal details of their horror stories as tenants. Um, I think felt good and comfortable um, doing so. So that was the launch of the tenants union um, we didn't uh We didn't try to to influence that election other than just to talk about the policies we wanted to see in general um and that's that's kind of the tenants union approach and we'll continue even though there's been a, been a change of government we'll continue the same same approach um so, what does the Vancouver Tenants Union want and what do we advocate for? Um, we have just now we have a policy working group uh set up that and and luckily we have some lawyers um on board. We And this was very important right away. Um I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh <clears throat> one of the things about the success of that first public meeting we did was that we were not at all ready in terms of our capacity as a group to handle uh, the requests for support. So we had 200 people show up at the meeting. We put out our website. We put out our social media. We got all kinds of media coverage, which was very uh, surprising because of the other things going on in in Vancouver and BC at the time. So people were just uh, messaging us on Facebook, sending us emails, Um, some people just asking how they could join. But most people were writing for help either advice or uh, or more sort of labor-intensive help. And we realized that first week after the public meeting that this was going to be a real challenge, just to keep up uh, with the requests people um, were hitting us with. So the first thing we did was not plan any additional forums or public actions. We just had to figure out as a group um, how could we best provide uh, assistance to all the people uh, messaging us. And a lot of the times it's just a matter of referring people to existing organizations. I don't want to give you the impression that the Vancouver Tenants Union is the the first time tenants have had any support. Um, There is a a tenant's office, a tenant's right advocacy uh, committee with a staff person who can take on some of these questions. There's of course the residential tenancy branch where you can take complaints. Um, But a lot of times it's just a matter of tenants not understanding their own legal rights and what happens is um, you're in your building, maybe it's just a basement suite, and everything's going fine for a few years, and then all of a sudden uh, the house gets sold, or you know there's a stress in your landlord's life, and they start uh, being being uh, taking it out on the tenant. Something comes up really quickly, or you live in a building, and all of a sudden you get a, a rent eviction, an eviction notice, or a vacate. Uh, notice because they 're going to renovate and, and up the rents. Uh, people really panic uh, if they don't, if they don't know their rights or they don't feel supported. Um, you can imagine in in your own life all the things you have to take care of. If all of a sudden you have to figure out how to fight your landlord, you might decide just to just to cash in your chips and, and start looking for another place so uh, many of our yeah so many of those first contacts it's just a matter of telling someone, well your landlord is breaking the law. Let's just just take a second. Don't let them get away with this. Don't don't sign the the fixed term lease they're trying to get you to, to sign. Um, or don't move out. Uh, don't give in. And you know, here are some of the steps you can take. Uh, so one of the first things we did then was get in touch with people who had legal background or were uh, were um, lawyers who had. I think we have one or two lawyers who have uh, you know gone to the bar and practicing one or two practicing lawyers and a couple other people with a legal degree um, or a lot of legal research education so we have an advocacy committee uh, that has been working quietly uh, in most cases quietly most cases haven't gone public uh, but have been supporting a lot of tenants Uh, in some cases just getting larger settlements for people who are being moved out of buildings that are getting redeveloped you get, you know, you may not, not every time are you going to get to stay in your home. Uh, the de- the redevelopment may go through, but tenants can be much better compensated if they're organized and if they have legal advice. Um, so we had our legal advocacy committee set up. Um, this is one thing we did. We also started to talk about what are the big public campaigns, uh, what are the big public issues we want to raise. So I would say the, the biggest one is... Um, fixing the Provincial Residential Tenancy Act um, and getting a number of loopholes that uh, landlords have been taking advantage of closed. So, oh, and the other thing I should say is um, we realized right away our strength was going to be in numbers. We were not going um, to get big funding from any organization and be able to hire staff uh, and have a really slick operation. We realized we're a bunch of volunteers trying to start an organization. Uh, the key thing we need are other volunteers like us, but they need to be people who are making a certain a certain commitment. So we decided to be a membership-based organization. Uh, we decided to charge membership dues. But because we are precarious tenants trying to organize other tenants, we set our membership fee ridiculously low, um, I argued against this so i'll just be <laughs> i 'll just be clear the the membership fee starts at one dollar uh a year, and uh I thought you should at least suggest or we should at least suggest five dollars a year um or even five dollars a month um, just to to get the idea out there that if you can afford a little bit it's it's well worth it um, and because we 're signing up hundreds and hundreds of people um it's a bit of a missed opportunity if we let everyone pay $1. But, you know, fortunately, um, and so how we ended up doing it was saying membership is $1. If you want to be a sustaining uh, member, uh, you can either or just a financial supporter. If you're a, someone who lives in a co-op or someone who owns their home, uh, we invite monthly contributions from from supporters. Um, uh, and I, for one, encourage sustaining members, if you can afford it, to pay $20 or $50 or $100 uh, a year. That kind of recurring funding is essential to an organization functioning. So, um, what we did for the launch meeting was your you, you membership comes with benefits. Uh, we, we had these little membership kits. We use Ziploc bags. I know it's not ideal for the environment, right? But uh, we had a we had a general meeting last night, so I ran out of uh, most of my materials because we had more people than we were expecting. Um, but I have this membership kit from the very first meeting, so I can pass it around, so you see what you get. And if anyone does want to sign up, of course, uh, we'll figure out how to do that uh, after this meeting. So, first, you get a little basic information card uh, about our the top demands, and these are the the main things we decided to focus on before we had a before we developed a policy committee that started a laundry list. So we decided the main things to focus on are we want to have a contact person or a tenant organizer in every rental building in the city so you know it's just start small right so this is this is our goal of what we 're working towards um so if someone signs up as a member, we also ask them, "Would you like to be the contact person in your building?" That doesn't mean that you're like uh, that you have office hours all week and you're responsible for a whole bunch of stuff. It just means you're willing to like to share um, with the rest of the tenants' union any issues that come up in your building, and just willing to be a contact person. Um, so we're looking for that. Uh, really, it means every rental building of a of a certain size, you know, twenty units or more or something. Uh, if you live in a basement suite and so many, or a, or a laneway house, so so many renters are in, uh, you know, traditional single family homes. Uh, we ask people if they'd be willing to to work as a contact for their kind of block or their you know sub-neighborhood. Basically if you're willing to take on responsibility beyond yourself uh, we'll consider you a tenant organizer and we want to build this network uh, right across the whole city and you know we got we have maps on Nation Builder, and we're working towards the ambitious goal um, of having a tenant organizer in every building Uh, which might not be as crazy as it sounds but I'll get to that because um, I want to talk about that later Um, we also want to create a force of renters with thousands of dues-paying members. We're close to that goal. We have uh, about 800 members right now. Um, <clears throat> change. We want to change policy to benefit tenants. Obvious. Uh, organize tenants to protect them from threats, intimidation, and bribes that lead to the loss of their homes. Because, as I say, part of the battle is just knowing you have you have strength and numbers uh, behind you for that initial moment or that initial day where you have a problem with a landlord. Uh, to empower tenants through tenants' rights education and advocacy training. Um, So the other part of it is empowering tenants themselves so that, you know, if a tenant is really educated about their rights or about the RTB rules um, and about what a landlord can get away with, they won't even need to contact the tenants' union. This will just become a culture of, uh, of tenants' rights. And the thing about intimidation, intimidation is very real. I don't know if anyone's had... The experience, but i I once moved out of a place in the West End when I was in my was in my twenties uh, living with my partner down in the West End, and we committed a very minor no we didn 't commit a sorry we yeah a minor act of resistance to the uh, to the landlord or the sorry the property manager the landlord was the company Hollyburn, which is a big one right you see their you see their h logo all over town. Um, Hollyburn is the landlord, the property managers who lived in the building um, were this couple that we we always got along with. There were no problems. They they did the maintenance work, and, um, you know, there was no big problems. But then there was a bed bug issue in the building, Um, and a bunch of people who had the bed bugs moved out of their suite, and, you know, it was a problem. We never had them in our unit, but they were moving people in, and it was obvious they weren't telling people. We talked to someone who was moving in, you know if they had asked about bed bugs and what they had been told, so the property managers were were misleading new tenants so one day I went and like printed off a little sign that said there are bed bugs in this building kind of kind of thing you know I just put up a sign um in the elevators and uh the property manager guessed that it was me i guess or or maybe she did this to everybody but um yeah it was um it was the there was a couple that were the property managers, but uh, she, she came to my door one morning, caught me before I had even had coffee kind of thing, so I was like, who's knocking on the door? Oh, okay, well, I wonder why she's come to talk to me, and yeah, she I can't remember if there was a f- threat of physical violence, but she said something along the lines of, if you don't move out, we're going to make your life very, very difficult, and I was just like, at first, I didn't even know why she was she was saying it, and then... She alluded to these signs, and you know someone maybe someone told her that I had put them up, uh, or i we had been talking about it anyway, long story short, um, we did not feel like living in this building anymore, and we didn't know anyone who would help us uh report this threat uh, or or you know organize ourselves to fight back so and This is like almost fifteen years ago, so you could still consider the possibility of moving and finding finding another place you could afford and we didn't have kids, so it wasn't that hard for us to move, but it was still very stressful, and we just we uh, we basically caved into the intimidation. So, you can imagine if people are in a more precarious situation, uh, what what effect on their lives that kind of intimidation has. Um, so that's just to say that's why we included the thing about about intimidation. Um, so I was saying we we at first um, decided. The big impact we wanted to have was on the provincial level policies um, and specifically around the rent, uh, rental and tenancy uh, agreement the, uh, uh, and the and the RTB in general. Essentially, uh, most things that affect the, the rate of rent increases uh, and rental conditions in general, uh, rent control such as we have it, are controlled by the province. There's a lot of things the city can do and... Like I said, we're developing a laundry list, um, but we decided to focus on the provincial level stuff. Not because of the provincial election, we were too late starting to, to really influence that anyway, um, but we wanted to just put a focus on those, those issues. Um, a few of the big ones are, in British Columbia, the, uh, the rent control such as it exists, uh, and basically um, uh, landlords are allowed to raise the rent by 2%. Many of you, I'm sure know this if you if you rent two uh, percent plus the rate of inflation, so this coming year it's going to be a four percent increase. You may have already got that notice uh, notice in your mail uh, or under your door. Um, the thing is landlords have a lot of ways to to increase it much more than four um, percent and that's why Vancouver now has uh, a, a rental rates that are just completely off the charts. I think you, just a few days ago, you may have seen a new report found that the average one bedroom home in Vancouver is now two thousand dollars, two thousand and twenty dollars a month. Um, that is uh, that is the average rent. So we calculated that if someone was working, basically if you were working for minimum wage full time, you couldn't pay your, that rent, even if you did nothing else. Um, if you're a single person. Uh, wanting to rent a one-bed, an average one-bedroom uh, apartment, working minimum wage full time would not uh, would not cut it. Um, so it's already way out of control. There's a four percent increase allowed each year, but landlords have all these ways where they can uh, astronomically increase the rent, and and one of the big ones is is rent evictions. Um, another big one is uh, they get tenants to sign a fixed-term lease. And essentially, those include a vacate clause. So if you sign a fixed term one year lease at uh, 12 months, they can, they can just get rid of you and, and find another tenant after that and increase the rent. Or they can ask you to sign another one and basically keep you in that, in that cycle um, and increasing the rent more than, uh, more than they should be. Um, Yeah, the renovations stuff, there is a lot the city can do on renovations. Um, We want um, landlords to have to, they do have to file permits with the city when they're doing renovations. Um, But we essentially want a system at the city where uh, landlords have to prove that the renovations are actually necessary. Right now, it's kind of like, it's just a matter of of filling out the papers and saying you're going to do something and here's what the rent is going to be um, before and after kind of thing. The landlord should have to prove, one, that the renovations are necessary, um, and the city's inspections department should be more vigorous in, in checking on this stuff. And also, they should have to prove that the, they're actually making improvements that would justify any rent increase. Um, some people want to, want to actually push for rules where they have to, before any renovations get done, they have to sign a contract with all tenants saying the tenants are going to get to go back at the same rates. Um, another way of doing it is they could they could charge higher rates after the renovations are done, but only if they can prove that they've actually increased the cost of the building. Uh, sorry, they've actually increased the quality uh, of the building. They have actually made tangible uh, renovations. Because what's happening with so many of these renovations, especially in the West End, a lot of the older buildings, uh, and a lot of the long-term tenants, they're getting booted out for so-called renovations Sometimes the landlord is immediately putting the place on Craigslist either as an Airbnb rental or they're just advertising it on Craigslist for way higher uh, rent to to new people. And what they end up doing is, you know, putting a – slapping a coat of paint on and then renting the suite back and saying, oh, it's a renovated suite. Now it's a $2,500 suite instead of a $1,500 suite. So there's a lot of – a lot of need at both the city and the provincial level uh, to crack down on uh, on evictions. Um, what else? We have a huge uh, we have a huge list. So let's just go through a bit of what the provincial government could do differently. And this is what um, we have: uh, a policy committee, we have an advocacy and outreach committee, and that's basically where th- those are the people who will either be the lawyers or get you in touch with. Uh, the lawyers you need. Uh, we also have a policy committee. Um, and then we have sort of a committee that is a network of dedicated building reps. Um, so people who have said, I'll be the tenant organizer in my building. Um, those people in some cases have taken up to five, I think there might be one person who's taken 10. They're the tenant organizer for 10 buildings. So they're like, responsible and they have contacts in each of those uh buildings i only have two buildings um so i have my own complex and then uh, kind of a sister uh building with the same owners and run by the same property managers that's uh just a few doors down in our neighborhood in fairview so i'm the tenant organizer for about 40 40 to yeah 45 units and i don't know how many people 100 150 tenants including kids or or something so i've taken on two buildings so we have a committee of building organizers um, that sort of sort of stays in touch. And your main thing you try to do as a building organizer is you're available and listening for any big problems. So you can refer tenants in your buildings for, for the kind of help they need. Um, but really at this point, since we're five months old, uh, we're looking for other people who are willing to be the tenant organizer in their building. Uh, So we're really just recruiting other building organizers at this point. But anyway, I'm not on the policy committee, but they have drawn up this incredible list of changes we would like to see at both the city and the provincial level um, to make Vancouver a more tenant-friendly city. Um, And I should say, like, it's not... uh, These are not pie-in-the-sky things. People who move to Vancouver from Montreal, for example, they think we're completely out of our minds uh, that we've allowed things to get to this state um, in Vancouver in Montreal if your landlord wants to increase your rent they have to go to a sort of a tribunal or a arbitration and they they have to make the case they have to justify why your rent is being increased so they have to go before I don't know if it's a panel or one adjudicator or something and they have to say like well I'm putting in a new toilet or I'm replacing the bathroom floors in my tenant's suite therefore I need to increase the rent and you know in Montreal, they're talking about um, apartments that rent for seven eight hundred dollars or a basement suite that's four hundred dollars i have uh, I have colleagues on this work project that live in a co-op in Montreal and they pay three hundred dollars rent and the co-op is paid off. their rent is gonna be three hundred dollars for the rest of their the rest of their lives, and they just can't understand why we don't all move to Montreal. (laughs) But anyway, our lives are here, and uh, we have models... Yeah, exactly. No, there are reasons, obviously, of... uh, that Vancouver's rent is higher. Uh, It's not just about government policy. It's obviously about uh, a zero vacancy or a close to zero vacancy, a lack of affordable housing supply. And yeah, money and people from all over the world and all over Canada um, end up in Vancouver or want to end up in Vancouver. So it's not to suggest that we're going to get to a situation where it's as affordable as a city like Montreal, which has its charms but also has has its winters. Um, But we do have models from other cities, uh, we have models from tenant organizers in the United States that we can follow and advocate for here. So, not to not to bore you with a laundry list of policy, and I definitely want to have time to hear your questions and hear hear any of your stories if if you are tenants here. Um, what we want the province to do is, well, we'd like them to cancel next year's rent increases. Um, we always ask for for the big the big ones, and then you know. If they cut the rent increases in half, we'll we'll be happy with that. And there there is some word from the... Apparently, the housing minister is considering looking at the annual uh, allowable increase and uh, maybe not even doing the 4%, but that has been announced. We want that brought down, um, at least temporarily, to give people some relief because the rents have increased so astronomically over the last decade. What we're saying is for a few years at least, um, stop the annual increases. Uh, so here our policy committee has suggested a five-year sort of freeze of the increases, and then after that you could go back to inflation or interest rates um, only for increases. Uh, we want to have a regional rental rollback over the period um, relative to the RTB-approved maximum annual increases. Uh, we want to tie rental rates to the unit rather than the tenant. That's the the other a uh, big problem with the uh, with the RTA in British Columbia is that that four percent increase is is not for the unit; it's for the tenant. So, this gives landlord a big incentive to get you on your way, whether it's threatening you in extreme cases, or, or subtly intimidating you, or um, the fixed term leases uh, or other or or rent evictions. So, we want to take away those incentives. Um, if you take away the Rent increase being tied to the tenant and tie it to the unit. That incentive to to evict people and move them along uh, is taken away. So that's very important, uh, and hopefully we'll see change on that. Uh, there's also the geographic rent increase provision of the Residential Tenancy Act, which we'd just like to get rid of or or revisit. Um, essentially, if you're if you're lucky enough to be in a rental unit that is Quite a bit before the average rent in your neighborhood, uh, your landlord can go to the, the tenancy branch and say, "This is uh, my I, I need the right to increase their rents more than four percent, because look, this building, for whatever historic reason, is is well below the neighborhood. Um, the residential tenancy branch is only supposed to grant these geographic rent increases in exceptional circumstances." But what we're saying is the Tenants Union is the whole city is kind of an excep- exceptional circumstance right now. We'd like you to scrap this um, this uh, geographic rent increase provision that landlords can take advantage of. Um, in Paris, they have a system where rents cannot exceed 20% of the area average. So there's some idea of looking at that here. Uh, again, I'm not on the policy committee. I'm not sure how that would work. But... Uh, Paris has some other things worth looking at. They have a huge new tax on uh, vacant properties, uh, and they also have a big Airbnb issue that they're trying to crack down on, uh, and Vancouver needs to look in that, into that as well. Uh, we'd also like to see anti-speculation measures uh, put on properties. So if anyone sells, buys and sells a house in the first year, Uh, Policy Committee is saying there should be a 90% tax on the first year. Uh, You know, (laughs) uh, others have advocated a 50% in the first year. Well, at the rate, property values are going up so much. um, You could pay 50% tax and, and almost still, you know, you're still getting a... You're still making money on it. So uh, anyway, there needs to be some kind of stronger anti-speculation measures. Um, we think it should be for properties flipped within one to three years, and it should be scaling down. So here they've suggested 90% in year one, maybe 90% in the first six months or, you know, people who just literally close the deal and then and then flip it, um, and then it would scale down. So. Because after three years, you might actually be legitimately uh, selling the property. The idea is, if properties are being bought as flipping investments less, um, people who buy properties will actually uh, rent them out and need that income because um, they're not just waiting to make the uh, make the money on flipping it. Uh, finally, we want to, um, or oh, we want to have ta- uh, capital gains uh, on property uh, sales on the sale of primary residences and apply the PST to the purchase of real property. So this is getting into pretty policy wonk territory, but there's all kinds of ways that uh, profits off of of property are not captured um, by the government. We also want to ensure all social housing is governed under the Residential Tenancy Act, uh, provide translation for people who do not speak English at residential tenancy branches and hearings, uh, raise the minimum wage. This is another aspect of it. Even if you freeze the rents, a lot of people at the wages we have and at the welfare rates we have in Vancouver can't afford what they call affordable housing. So as the Tenants Union, we also call for a higher minimum wage and higher social assistance rates. Um, the other thing, we want the city and or the province together to to pool money and buy out a lot of the SROs, um, the old kind of rooming houses and uh, basically tenements, single rooms that people... Uh, live in because those are the lowest rents in Vancouver, mostly in the downtown east side, but elsewhere as well. We think the government and most of them are just being are falling into disrepair uh, and just you know it's really these are these are not conditions that people should be living in. Not only do you not have your own washroom or often you don 't have your own sufficient uh, cooking area and kitchen um, but that you 're just living in filth or the the one that was shut down uh, earlier this year, the balmoral Hotel. Did people hear about this one? Before they shut it down and said you can't live here, they were actually telling tenants, you can't use your bathtub or your shower because the, there's so much moisture damage and rotting of the wood under the bathroom that if you have a bath, it might, the, the floor might break, collapse. Yeah, you can actually... Um, there are other horror stories where support beams in some of these SROs were rotting and, and the tenants had to like bring the city in and get the city to order these repairs done. The the slum lords themselves were were going to just allow their buildings to fall down. So we think if there's extreme cases of, of slumlords slum lords letting these buildings decay, governments need to just find the money, buy them, fix them up, and give people uh, fix them up or knock them down and give people uh, better better homes. And then finally, we need 10,000 units of social housing a year. Um, we actually need more affordable housing than than just that, but but we figure 10,000. Uh, social housing at actually affordable rates would make a big dent in things, um, but yeah, I wanna I wanna leave some time for because I I like to hear your questions and I have too much more to say, um, but uh, I'm always looking for for renters and and tenants who have their own stories. Uh, it really educates us, and we we uh, are still we're still a we're still in our infancy as a tenants union and. You know, as you can see from my presentation, we're 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 very grassroots and still all volunteer run. So we're looking for your input, we're looking for for new members, um, and basically we're looking for new kind of coalitions to come together in Vancouver to make this a livable city. Um, just in the last five months since we've started the tenants union, it's sort of renewed my my faith that uh, that our family can stay and live in Vancouver and be part of the city. Uh, but even in those five months where I've had this reason to feel optimistic, uh, almost a handful of friends my age or, or younger who are thinking of starting families have moved uh, either to New Westminster or in some cases further further out. So I feel like friends are leaving town and family members uh, are leaving town, and we just long term we want Vancouver to be a city where people. People can stay. And yes, it's a desirable, desirable place to live, desirable climate, beautiful city. But it, f- it feels like these last years, the, the heart has really been taken out of the city. And just too many people, um, too many people also who work here are being forced to move out of the city. This is the final point I guess I'll make, is that these issues around rental affordability and housing, they're not just housing issues. They're issues for the health of our whole society and the the environment as well, because you know what what kind of um, how can Vancouver essentially how can Vancouver, whose uh, the city's official goal is to be the greenest city in the world, if everyone who works for at jobs under twenty five dollars an hour has to live in Mission or Aldergrove or further, I have friends moving out to Chilliwack who still work here, and you ask them how they possibly do, it, they say, oh well, I only come into the office three days a week, and then I work from home two days a week um so yeah how are you going to have a green city if people are commuting an hour and a half each way just to get into the city and work um including including um people who work at essential services and and hospitals and transit workers and these are workers that a city can't do without they have to be able to afford uh to live in the city so i'll i'll leave it there for now but thank you again uh, to the humanist society for having me humanist association for listening and uh And yeah, I want to hear your questions, yeah.